This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman, and welcome to The Loop. This week, hundreds gathered at the corner of 111th Avenue and 142nd Street in Edmonton for a protest over sex education and LGBTQ rights. I am a grandmother. I am a retired teacher. And I feel, I feel that some of this um, information that is in, within this program is not appropriate for young children. I came out this morning because I'm actually getting officially tired of this mega voice uh, resonating in Alberta. It's a small fringe voice that has gotten just far too much airtime. The people who support the One Million March for Children come from a place of love. We love children. And what's really important about children is that we protect them from time to time from adult things. SOGI 123 is sexual orientation and gender identity programming. And this is available in schools across the province. I, as a parent, what do you do other than keep talking? And it feels useless. Absolutely. And if a child doesn't feel like they're not safe to be themselves at home, the school should not be in a position where they can't honor that child's authentic place or tell their parents. That is how children die. That is how they end up on the street. That is how they fall into substance use, have nowhere to go, no supports. Sometimes school is the only safe place for kids. Edmonton's protest was part of a larger series of rallies and counter-protests that happened across the country on September 20th. They were called the One Million March for Children, involving some parents and socially conservative groups. It's an argument over LGBTQ-inclusive education policies in the classroom and extracurricular activities under the banner of parental rights. And a main point of contention is something called SOGI-123, spelled S-O-G-I, and it stands for Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity. It's a set of tools and resources actually developed in British Columbia by a group called the ARC Foundation. And it's been adopted in some Alberta school districts as a support for teachers to create safe and inclusive classrooms. Scout Gray is the national program leader for the ARC Foundation, and they explain the approach alongside Jason Schilling, president of the Alberta Teachers Association on CBC This Week. Well, I've heard a lot from staff and teachers from across the province just how disturbed and troubled they are by the protests that they saw today and the, the conversations or the things that they've seen on social media leading up to the protests that we saw today. We saw a lot of lies. We saw a lot of misinformation. We saw a lot of hatred that was meant created to undermine the right of all students to their safe spaces at schools. And teachers and the association work very hard to create policies and procedures that we have in school school to ensure the safety of our students, that they're cared for and that they're loved. And uh, this was a real, um, it was a real cloud over the start of a school year to see this kind of protest and this sort of undermining and using fear and intimidation against a group that has been marginalized and such as our 2S LGBTQ plus students and and teachers. I, I can't imagine if I was a queer student or a queer teacher today and how I would felt. And I just want them to know that we're here to support them every step along the way. If 
a teacher is always talking to students and saying, your mom and dad, your mom and dad, when talking about a kid's parents, that does not include all students. It doesn't include a student who lives with a single dad, who lives with two moms, who lives with their auntie. And so Soji inclusive education is a part of all sorts of different ways that schools can be inclusive for all sorts of students. It's a resource for teachers to use in school to help make their classrooms more inclusive because all students and all staff who are working in our schools, um, they, de- they deserve to be working in a place that is safe and where they feel cared for and where they can be themselves. And the tools that are listed here under SOGI 123 are just some tools that teachers can use. Teachers teach the curriculum and that is set by government and those resources for the curriculum are vetted by government. And SOGI is a tool that helps teachers make a difference in their classrooms if they, they want to use it. There is so much misinformation about what SOGI inclusive education is. Um, and so, yeah, I really want people to know that this is about inclusion. This is about creating welcoming and safe spaces for students. We know that 2SLGBTQ students are at risk if they don't feel supported in their schools. You know, their mental health, their sense of belonging, connection is really at risk. And, and so... These initiatives and and teachers who are really working hard to create those safe, inclusive classrooms, it's absolutely for the safety of those students. It's been a really challenging day. You know, we work really hard as an association. I've worked really hard as a teacher throughout my entire career to protect all of my students and to create safe, caring spaces in our schools so that everyone feels welcome, that everyone feels part of a community in the school and what we saw today with these protests was an effort to undermine that through fear and hatred and intimidation we need to when we hear hate and see hate like this push back on it because it matters a lot to to everybody that our schools are safe and that they're they're the people who are there are being protected and that everybody feels welcome so how do we move this conversation forward beyond protests and chants to a better understanding of inclusivity in schools and support for all students to be their best selves. Alexandra Marshall is the Education Coordinator for the Firefly Institute for Gender and Sexual Diversity, a part of the Faculty of Education at the U of A. And she joins me now to dig a little deeper. Hello, Alex. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Tell me just what you do with the Firefly Institute. For sure. So I'm the Rural Education Coordinator. So my work is primarily involved with rural schools. I do sometimes do lectures here at the university for pre-service teachers, but primarily I'm traveling around the province. I work with uh, school districts in helping them develop inclusive policies and procedures. I work with schools themselves in professional development, and I work individually one-on-one with teachers. Um, Sometimes they connect with me about how to handle certain situations, particularly when they're dealing with um, bullying, harassment, things like that, focused on 2SLGBTQ plus youth, looking for the best way to support them. So that's primarily what I do. Yeah, not a short list. (laughs) What does inclusivity in schools actually mean and look like in your work? Um, ultimately what we hope for is that any kid going to school um, is going to feel safe there. Um, So the work that we do, we'd like to say is beneficial for every single kid who walks through those doors. Our focus is primarily on homophobia and transphobia. And the number one impact of that is supporting 2SLGBTQ plus youth, but it has beneficial effects for all students. You don't have to be gay to experience homophobia. You don't have to be trans to experience transphobia. Some of the 
bullying and harassment that we see constantly in our schools is rooted in homophobia and transphobia. And so you don't have to be a member of those communities to experience it. So a big part of um, when we talk about inclusivity is how do we make our spaces safer for everybody? How do we ensure that nobody is facing that sort of discrimination? The protests that we saw this week across the country, they say they were about protecting children from what they call potentially harmful indoctrination. Is that something that you hear when you approach some of these different communities? Constantly, yeah. So a lot of my work, um, sometimes I, I work with a school or a school district and we have conversations about how we introduce this kind of topic. How do we have these kind of conversations? How do we present to community? Because we want community to be involved. We want um, families to know what's happening in their schools. Unfortunately, when we come in and we say like, hey, this is what's going to be happening, we get sometimes a lot of anger, a lot of people parroting mis and disinformation, which we saw just like plenty of at the the protests, but very few people actually engage. Um, In a number of schools and um, a number of different communities, I've gone and done, um, for example, like a mock session where I'll come in and I'll ask the school or the district to put it out there and say, hey, we're going to do a mock session to show you what some of this work looks like actually in the classroom. We want to show it to you so you have an opportunity to see it, to ask questions. And very often what occurs is we see just a deluge of really angry messaging on social media. Things like exactly what we saw at the protest. Stop harming children. Stop doing this. Stop indoctrinating kids. And we try our best to go on there and say, please come and see the information. We can show all of this to you. Please take a look at it. But people have no interest in engaging in that. They just want to repeat the disinformation that they've seen online. And so when I do these sessions, it's very common that we'll have sometimes even hundreds of messages. But then the actual day of when I'm going to be showing or talking about it, almost nobody who is against it shows up. I get tons of parents and community members and family members who come in and say, oh my goodness, thank you so much for doing this. It's desperate for us. I have a gay child. I have a trans child. It's so hard for them at their school because of the bullying that they're facing every single day. Those are the people who come to those sessions that I do. It's very, very rare that I get anybody who is against the work I do. They'd much rather, you know, walk in a protest where they don't have to actually listen to what other people are saying. They just get to yell about it and parrot that disinformation that is constantly being said. Mm -hmm. What are some of the biggest points of misinformation that you keep hearing nowadays? So one of the biggest signs that we saw like constantly throughout this and many, many other protests and pieces is the idea of indoctrination and this really, really debunked and sadly kind of re-arisen piece of disinformation that the work of 2SLGBTQ plus inclusion is the work of uh, recruiting, grooming, indoctrination. It's all the same rhetoric that we've, you know, seen since the 1980s of fear-mongering about 2SLGBTQ plus people, that the goal of this work is to make people 2SLGBTQ plus. Um, But we just know that that's impossible (laughs) because we just have decades of research showing that you can't change a person's sexual orientation or gender identity. You cannot make a gay kid straight and you cannot make a straight kid gay. That's the antithesis of the work that we do. And so when people come and say, don't try to change who my kid is, we're like, 
why are you arguing this? We have zero interest in ever doing that. That is the exact opposite of what we're here to do. What we're here to do is make sure that your kid and every kid gets the same safety when they walk into a school. Every student in Alberta has the right to a GSA. That is still legally enshrined in Alberta. I hope that that isn't going to change anytime soon. A GSA we found is heavily, heavily associated with improved mental and physical health outcomes for youth. So when a kid joins a GSA, starts a GSA, um, that is something that massively benefits them, but it actually benefits everybody. Because like I said, a school that has a GSA, all students report hearing less homophobic and transphobic bullying. And like I said, you don't have to be gay to experience homophobic bullying, to have people tease you for how you behave or te tease you for thinking that you don't fit perfectly into the mold of how they think you should be, be and exist. Mm -hmm. GSAs are one example of inclusive practices. What are other ways that you, you work with teachers to create that sort of safe environment? Because it's not as if you're coming in and being like, great, okay, we're going to have a course or an assembly where we all just sit around and talk yeah. about this for half an hour. What does it look like? We need to reflect the reality of the world in our schools, which is, again, part of like a really sad part of what we see of these protests is they say they're so nonspecific. They're so you know, generalize that they never explicitly say what they don't want to say, they say, stop, bring this into school, stop sexualizing children, all things that we're not doing. But when we really get down to it, it's things like, hey, we want to have a book that has a queer character in it. Um, we want to make sure that in our uh, libraries, there's accessible um, information and stories that reflect all different experiences. And we do know that that inclusion is so important. We know representation is so important for youth. Um, when we work with youth, anybody who experiences marginalization, anybody who's existing in the world in a way where they're not represented in the minority, if they don't have an opportunity to see themselves reflected in their school, in their books, in their, um, in their spaces in any way, shape or form, how are they supposed to understand themselves in the world? What is a teacher supposed to do? If, if these protesters had their wish, had like, we can never, ever mention sexual orientation, gender identity to anybody ever again. What can a teacher do in that moment? What does a teacher say? Does a teacher tell that child to leave the classroom mm -hmm. and say, stop talking about that because that's inappropriate. We don't discuss that in our school. What if another child makes fun of that kid? What if another kid says, you can't have two moms. That's impossible. How does a teacher handle that moment if we've you know, basically, as we've seen in some places in America, criminalize those kind of conversations and said, you know, you can't have talk about this. What is it? How does a teacher address that bullying, address that harassment when that occurs? If they're not allowed to say, like, actually, there are some people who have two moms. That's a literal fact of the law in Canada. Hmm. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a big part of like when we talk about representation. I do a lot of work on like working with librarians and libraries and saying like, hey, let's let's touch on this part. Let's make sure that that's piece in there. Things like uh, rainbow flags, which again, we're getting such a big pushback on right now, are ways of saying to students like everybody is welcome here is important because we know our schools right now aren't always that place. Um, Egal did a study, 79% of trans students who were victims of bullying, harassment, said the teachers and staff were ineffective in addressing that bullying and harassment. We also know that 60% uh, six zero percent of students who are 2SLGBTQ+, or who have uh, parents who are 2SLGBTQ+, feel unsafe going to their school. Contrast that with 14%, 1-4% of students who are not members of this community. Just the reality is, is that these kids are not feeling safe in our school. 
And it's our job as educators, as a community, as a society to say like, hey, we need to show them that representation. We need to do something to make sure that they feel that safety. And sometimes for some kids, that's a rainbow flag. That's putting something up that says, hey, you are welcome here. Saying like, hey, we are willing to have this conversation with you. We saw a large protest here in Edmonton, but they did happen protests and counter protests across the province. Is there a misunderstanding of Alberta's rural communities? Because there is this kind of perception, especially from urban centers, that they're less friendly to queer or trans students or that they're not as safe. Um, I always like to tell people that I, I see a lot more differentiation between any two schools than if I were to entirely lump urban and rural together. <laughs> I would see less difference between those two lumps than statistically like almost any two schools that I go to. I've been to um, schools in you know Edmonton um, that are incredibly open, incredibly welcoming. I've been to schools in Edmonton that have a lot of work to do, that students don't feel safe in, that they experience a lot of homophobia, a lot of transphobia. There's teachers, there's administrators who are really nervous to engage with this topic and in that nervousness do nothing they mm -hmm. kind of feel paralyzed by that fear and so when they decide we're not going to do anything to help kids who are experiencing bullying harassment and violence that just continues that just fans the flames of it whereas i've been to rural schools who have you know a similar kind of thing where there's not a lot of work being done but i've been to rural schools that are doing amazing and fantastic work that are super, super engaged in this that have developed their own policies and procedures and their own ways of understanding and talking to youth about making that school a safe place for everybody. In the protests, of course, we do see members of far right groups. Um, and then there's also people from different conservative communities, religious backgrounds. How do we begin to bridge that gap and, and speak to those parents and families to gain a better understanding of why inclusivity in schools matters? It can be really, really difficult because it's very easy to create your own information bubble. People are very willing to be told everything outside of this bubble is lying to you. You can only listen to these particular information sources. And as part of my work, it's you know part of my job to research that and to go into those bubbles, into those spaces and see what's being said and what's being done. And it's just, it's so... Uh, it's so frustrating for me in the work that I do because very often they're just blatantly false. They just straight up lie. They say, this is what they are doing in schools. And I'm like, that's my job and I'm not doing that. <laughs> I I will show you exactly what I'm doing when it comes time to actually come and see what's happening, to even look at the information when I can send them the documents, say, this is what we are doing. And they just won't. They have this like mental block of everything other than what this one source is telling me is a lie. And so that's so hard to get over. And so I often talk about how important it is to talk face to face. That's why I do those in-person sessions in, in communities throughout the provinces. The hope that somebody will come. It's so much harder to hate, you know, face to face. It's so much harder to just rely on that bubble when you're actually engaging with people. And so when we talk about allyship, sometimes we say that's a big part of what we call on our, our allies in the community to do is say to people that you have a connection with, hey, maybe we can check other sources. Maybe we can listen to other voices. Maybe we can 
look at this in a different way is is try as best we can to gently encourage people to hear what people are actually saying rather than just regurgitating what they see online because again like so much of the signs that we saw I could have I could have told you what was going to be written on those signs like last year yeah based on exactly what we're seeing online and when we try to engage in that online it's just nothing happens but when I do those sessions like I said sometimes there is times when a person will come who is against the work that I do will come to an in-person session and I can't say every time that they come they suddenly walk out like oh I was totally wrong or anything I have had that though and I've at le the very least had people come in and say okay this is different than I thought it was I maybe I'm still against it maybe I still don't agree with it but this is different than what I thought it was. With that in mind, what, what would you say to folks who've been involved in rallies and protests this week? Um, for those who are engaging in the protests, I would say like the vast majority of what you are worried about is not happening. And in fact, I would agree with so much of it. When people say like, I don't want my kid to go to school and have and be mutilated or get you know, surgeries or anything like that. It's like, of course not. <laughs> I I have worked in so many schools. Most school nurses cannot provide aspirin. Like there is no <laughs> medical procedures happening at school. We would never want that to happen. There is, that's just not a reality. And again, it's so hard to hear somebody talk about medical procedures happening at schools um, when they say, you know, I don't want people to change who my child is amazing we are so in agreement here i do not want any child to go to school and feel like they have to change who they are every single straight kid deserves to live their life as a straight kid the same way as every gay kid deserves to live their life as a gay kid or a trans kid we have zero interest in never changing who somebody is so that's a big part of it one of the more recent pieces of misinformation that's kind of come about um, when we've seen some changes in saskatchewan i think and um on the East Coast, some of the, uh, the the ideas of secrets being kept. I work with kids who are 2SLGBTQ plus all over the province. The vast, vast majority are out to their parents. The kids who need the safety of a school where they can come to school and say, I need to be safe here, but I'm not safe at home. Those are very rare instances but they're necessary. People talk up, say like these kind of conversations should be happening in the home. Again, so agree, a hundred percent agree. The best thing you can do if you're worried about your kids coming out at school and not at home, do you know how we change that is you have that conversation with your child. You say, I love you no matter what. If you feel like there is something you would like to talk about, I want you to understand. You can talk about that with me all we can do is try to create some place for them that is safe. And that's what a lot of these, these um, things are about is a GSA is a place where a kid can go to school, talk about who they are and feel safe. Mm. I've never met a kid who isn't out at home and is happy about that. Every single kid I've ever met who isn't out at home is desperate to tell their family. They are in tears about the fact they can't talk about who they are to their family for kids who do face the risk of, you know, houselessness, uh, of not being safe in their home. If we can grant some small piece of safety in the school, 
again, we have a lot of research showing that that leads to better mental and physical health outcomes than those who are not supported anywhere whatsoever. And so that's why we create those spaces for that very, very small minority of students who are 2SLGBTQ plus and not out at home. And this is about kids in the end, right? What is your message to youth in Alberta after all of the conversations that we've seen happen this week? Yeah, my message to youth is that you deserve to be safe in your school. You deserve to be uh, loved at home. You deserve to be safe in, in any, every way that we can do our best to give for you. Unfortunately, there are some folks who maybe are not understanding that the work that we do is towards that goal. And if you're not feeling safe because of that, um, that can be really, really hard. But I hope you understand that there are folks who are out there working so hard to try to make every place in your life safe for you. The Loop is a podcast from CBC Edmonton. And our team this week is Leslie Goldstone, Jaskirat Munder, and Olivia O. Oh. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. And I'm Claire Bonnyman. Thank you so much for listening. The Loop is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, traditional lands of First Nations and Métis communities. You can email us at theloop at cbc.ca, and you can leave us a review or rating wherever you download the show. And of course, you can find us on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.